0: Hello and welcome to Five Alive. I am Mallory and I'm taking over for Daddy today. And today we are going to be having a great discussion.
1: It's great to have you all with us today. We today are going to be talking about assimilating God's will and our will together. Combining His will and our will, or actually what it really looks like is us submitting unto God's will. Because after all, He is God. He is the preeminent being. He is the one who has all understanding, all knowledge, all foreknowledge, all future knowledge. He's the one that knows what we were like before. He knows what we're going to be like in the future. And he is the one that has granted us a freedom of will so that that way we can choose whether we're going to fall in alignment with his will or not. Now, knowing God's will, as we've discovered in the last lesson, takes a lot of rewarding work on our part. That is why it's so important to follow up on our discovery of God's will with action. Not just talk about it, not just say stuff about it whenever you're having a discussion or conversation with somebody else, but actually put work into it. Thomas Merton was a Catholic priest in Kentucky He says it like this in his book, No Man is an Island, in chapter 7. The reason why we do things so badly is that we are not content to do what we can. We insist on doing what is not asked of us because we want to taste the success that belongs to somebody else. I think that's a very insightful description of the way we do things, which is what I wanted to go into next, a scriptural reference that talks about our inward desire is when the Bible is mentioning our flesh, it says your flesh or our flesh. And this is a scriptural term referencing the inbred desire in us all, nobody's exempt, to sin. To sin is to do our will and not God's will. Remember, sin is complete rebellion to God and therefore causes doing God's will to be a complete battle or a warfare, if you will, inside of us. Every time you choose to follow God's will, there is a war that rages between your flesh and your spirit. C.S. Lewis in Mere Christianity says it this way, Christianity agrees with dualism in this one area, and that is that the universe is at war. But it does not think this is a war between independent powers. It thinks it is a civil war, a rebellion, and that we are living in a part of the universe that is occupied by the rebel. The rebel being Satan himself. So when you spend time listening to God, reading scripture, and allowing godly people to influence you as you pray, Your faith will increase and rise up as you regularly and consistently determined to follow God's will. Your faith will overcome the flesh and ungodly influences of this world. And the book of 1 John is what we're going to be referencing all throughout today. And Xavier has the first passage of scripture for us. It's in 1 John chapter 5 verses 1 through 5.
2: Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God, and everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of Him. By this we know that we love the children of God, when we love God and obey His commandments. For this is the love of God, that we keep His commandments, and His commandments are not burdensome. For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world, and this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Who is it that overcomes
1: the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? Very good. This is the reading of God's word for the direction in which we are going for the questions that we have for the rest of today. In the book of 1 John, chapter 1, verses 1 through 7, Xavier again has that for us. We're going to ask ourselves three questions in order to help align our will with God's will. So if we'll open our Bibles to 1 John chapter 1, verses 1 through 7, These are the questions that we're going to be asking ourselves. What is the purpose of this scripture? What is the message that is declared? And what makes you a liar? That which was from the beginning,
2: which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we looked upon and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life. The life was manifest, and we have seen it, and testified to it, and proclaimed to you the eternal life, which was the Father, and was made manifest to us. That which we have seen and heard, we proclaim also to you, so that you may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is the Father and with the Son, Jesus Christ. And we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. This is the message we have heard from him and proclaim to you that God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him, while we are walking darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin.
1: Wonderful. So what is the purpose of this scripture?
2: The purpose of this question is John is stating the reason why they wrote this, he wrote this scripture and also the other gospels, and that is because they have fellowship with Christ, and so in that they want us to have fellowship with him. And then in these writings our joy will be full of Christ. That is the point of these scriptures.
1: Exactly. And how long has God's word been manifest as a word of life unto mankind? Since the beginning. Because
2: so. in First John, it says, in the beginning was the word, and the word, not first, no, in, yeah. not in First John, but also in John 1, 1, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God.
1: Right. But even what you just started off was, that which was from the beginning, And it's not just talking about the beginning of when I, as an infant, started having comprehension and understanding, but what has been offered to us all of our lives is that from the beginning, even Adam and Eve had the word of life that was in front of them. And so this is something that has been offered to all of us so that that way we can have an understanding of the fullness of God. Is there anything else that you see in this passage of scripture in order for us to align ourselves with God's will? To walk in the light yeah absolutely so as we're walking in the light we understand what that actually looks like don't we in your personal life as you've been making decisions how do you know what decision is the right decision and what decision is the wrong decision
0: i guess a gut feeling
1: okay a gut feeling can you elaborate a little bit on that like what do you mean a gut feeling like oh Do you feel sick to your stomach if it's a bad thing? Or do you feel really excited if it's a good thing?
0: Like if you had a decision between um, staying with your family for the summer or staying with your friends for the summer and you don't know what to choose and you're like, I really want to go with my friends, but, you know, for the summer I'm going to see all of my family. I haven't seen all of my family in a while. So you kind of feel sad because you don't know if like you feel like they're going to react as if oh that's sad that your child didn't come with you and stayed with your friend with their their friends and so you're kind of like i want to go stay with my family so that way i can see all of my family again
1: Mm -hmm. Mm
0: -hmm. because i can hang out with my friends anytime i want to okay
1: Well, and I like your description of your uh, story that you're telling because you're giving a principled opportunity that neither one is the right or wrong decision, right? This is a decision that I have to make and my heart gets torn. And it doesn't mean that if I stay with my friends, I'm a bad daughter. And if I stay with my parents, I'm a bad friend. It's just that who has to make the decision? Yourself. You do as yourself so there are a lot of opportunities in our lives where we have to make decisions that both of the opportunities are blessings and benefits and good and those are the ones that most of us really really struggle with we don't really struggle with the ones of hey my parents don't want me to follow my friends because they're all doing drugs and they're recklessly driving down the road like we know in our heart okay if i go with those group of friends that that's the wrong decision. And if I go with another group of friends that's always doing good things, then I'm making the right decision. Not all of life's decisions are that cut and dry. Sometimes we ha- we have to make a decision between two good things. And so in those moments, how do we find God's will for our life in accordance with this passage of scripture?
3: I don't think that's a fair question. It because is a very fair it's question. It's not because it's not I don't think that's God's will. I mean, I disagree with it being God's will because you're going to do whatever you want to do. It's a discernment. It's a consideration. It's what you think is best. I don't think it's like a God will moment because it's ultimately your choice because you're given free will. God has given us a free will. Mm -hmm. And so it is the free will of a choice that God has given us. And so it's not a right or wrong. If I go here with my friends or if I go here to see my grandparents, it's just a matter of discernment and or consideration. It's just, what do I want to do? And if my parents have given me the choice to, hey, you can either do this one or you can do that one. You can go with your friends or you can go see your grandparent. I don't think there's a God will in that because no, no wrong way, it's not a wrong way. Either you don't way. lose either
1: way or you no. do lose either way.
3: You don't lose either way. I mean, if you just said, well, I'm just not going to go to both. Well, that's a, <laughs> that's an arrogant attitude. Right. Because then you're allowing, oh, well, my parents should have opened up an opportunity to say, this is what I was going to do. But we have to be decisive in life of mm. what we want to do. And I mean, when you're outside of a parent, so to say, and it's you on your own, right? we're giving the choice of...
1: Do All I go to work
3: or do I not go to work? I mean, there's there's <laughs> it, there's no right or wrong. I mean, do I do I want to get paid? Do I not want to get paid? Do I not, do I want to do a new job every year? You know, every 365 days, have a new job every day. You know, make it a goal and do it like that. I mean, the choice is yours.
1: Well, I appreciate you bringing it up that way specifically because uh you're exactly right and the way i was wording it is the way that a lot of people try and word things because they want to put condemnation on us for our decisions one way or the other especially if something doesn't work out fully in a way that looks like it's been blessed or is providential or is profitable then we automatically assume well then that wasn't god's will and you made the wrong decision whereas god's will isn't always for us to be profitable And for our life to be hashtag blessed in everything that we do, because going through the bad times actually makes life more adventurous and keeps us clinging more to God. And I think that's exactly what John is talking about here. When we walk in the light, we're in the light. And as you're saying, Blair, is the decisions that I have to make in life, there are a lot of these decisions that are just. Both of these decisions are fantastic. And whichever one I choose, it's I have to know that's the right choice. It's the it was the right choice every single time. Oh, but it didn't work out fully the way that I had dreamed about it working out. Does that mean that you then made the wrong choice?
3: We should live life without regrets. Right. So and once again, it does go back to we are given a free will. Right. And don't go back and I mean, there's always that, there's that question, well, what would you tell your 20 year old, your, you know, your 20 year old (laughs) self? And it's like, well, I would tell myself, do the same thing. Because when I was 20, obviously I wasn't mature 20 years later into the thinking that I know now that I did not know then. It's an unfair question. It's an unfair question. And what I did four years ago, isn't very fair to how is that going to affect my life today? Because what I did four years ago, I needed to walk through that. I needed to go through that. Exactly. Um, in order to make me who I am today and not that I can't reflect back through my past absolutely I can and learn from past mistakes absolutely sure can but that doesn't mean I need to continue to wallow in mm. the oh man if I would have known this when I was 20 as opposed to when I was 40 I could have saved all this money and that No, I probably would have done the same thing (laughs) because (laughs) it's just that age of nobody's going to tell me what I can and cannot do. And I want to figure it out. And uh, I want to figure it out on my own. I love the Lord. Yes, I know his blessings and I understand who he is. I understand he has a will, but I also understand that I'm given a free will Mm -hmm. and I get to make that choice. And sure, my choices may not look like what somebody would have planned for my life, like a life coach, they may be like, well, you should have taken this path, but I didn't consult a life coach. And the person I consulted was definitely the counselor of the Holy Spirit If okay, I think this, this is right. And I, yeah, I mean, when, yeah.
1: Well, I want to bring it up to our 16 year old son who has a decision to make in the next uh, six months or so and i mean you you have your mind made up to an extent but i'm just going to go ahead and pose this you have to choose whether you're going to go to college which college you're going to go to and your and what your future self is going to look like and you're going to you're going to continue taking those steps because you've already taken steps to the point where you're at today and you have those those decisions do you ever have a fear inside of your heart that no matter what your decision is, you might make the wrong decision.
2: No, I'm not really afraid of making the wrong decision. I mean, I used to be definitely when I was little. Like whenever there were times where I had to pick out a toy and I wanted this toy or this toy. And my parents would be like, well, they're the same price and you can get it, but you have to decide which one. Which one do you think you're going to play with more? And that always frustrated me And I wouldn't make the decision until last minute because I always was scared that if I made one decision, then it would be the wrong decision and I didn't get what I actually wanted. And so I tried my best to think through everything that I would pick out or anything like that. And I used to be afraid that it was just always going to be the wrong decision and somehow it was going to end up bad for me just by picking out a toy. (laughs) And somehow that toy was going to break or something like that and I couldn't use it anymore. And then I was like, man, that was a bad decision. So I used to worry about making bad decisions a lot in multiple things and beat myself up over bad decisions I made. But then over time, I needed to learn to forgive myself for making Mm. those wrong decisions. Mm -hmm. Because I know God forgives us. And I prayed for him to forgive me in those moments when I do make bad decisions. But at the same time, I also had to learn to forgive myself and learn to move forward and move past those bad decisions and so in the future when I do make bad decisions I'm not afraid of making those decisions because I know that our struggles and our bad decisions is what helps us grow and so in that I just I'm not looking forward to making the wrong decision but at the same time I'm ready to move past it and grow and continue to be a different and better person than I was the day I did make the dumb bad decision
1: or the one that you viewed as being a bad decision at that moment exactly so because we're kind of talking right now mallory helped bring us into the light of two decisions that neither one of them is a bad decision they're both equally good for us to make uh this passage of scripture talks about walking in the light and it says specifically and i think that's what this message is declaring that was our second question the third question is is what makes us a liar according to this passage of scripture because this is what helps define what the wrong decision actually is. The wrong decision isn't, um, in, in Mallory's scenario that she brought up, going to my grandparents' house or going with my friends. It is a decision that makes us into a liar because of what? Like, what makes us a liar according to this passage of Scripture?
2: Not saying you're walking in Christ, but not doing what he says.
1: Yeah. Exactly. Not
2: following what he says.
1: And I really like the way the Apostle John wrote it because he said, by this we know we love the children of God when we love and keep his commandments. For this is the love of God that we keep his commandments. And then he puts this beautiful sentence in here that is so relevant to so many of us today. It says, and his commandments are not burdensome. So many of us think that as... As we're doing things, if I do God's will, that's not going to be as fun as if I do something that's rebellious to God's will. And yet John describes to us that following God's commandments are not burdensome. But the world tries to, the rebel as C.S. Lewis put it, the re- rebel of whose world we're actually living in right now, that person, Satan, and all of his demons that are going around trying to convince us that this is the right thing to do or this is the right lifestyle when all he's really doing is leading us towards hell and destruction and lying and deceitfulness. He makes that look so appealing to us that we think that that's exactly the way we need to live our life, and yet, as we just read in 1 John chapter 1, verse Verses one through seven, what makes us a liar is to say that we're in God's truth and the whole time we're not. Mm -hmm. And so if I'm making a decision that is a win win kind of a situation, like do I go to university? Yes or no? What is my career going to look like? Do I need university for that career path? What university do I then choose? Does it matter how much money I spend? Does it matter where the location is? Like all of those things go into making the decision of what we're going to do. But neither one of those, whatever our decision is in the end of that is not an evil one versus a a, a God-blessed, beneficial, bountiful one. Because if we are in the light and we are walking in the light, no matter what our decision is, it is going to be God's will. Because our will, as we're submitting it, as we're walking in the light, we're automatically walking in what God's will is. We are aligning our will with his. Does that make sense? Yes. 1 John chapter 2, verses 3 through 6.
3: And by this we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. Whoever says, I know him that does not keep his commandments is a liar and the truth is not in him but whoever keeps his word in him truly the love of god is perfected by this we may know that we are in him whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked
1: so this is kind of one of those scriptures where we got those bracelets of wwjd what would jesus do kind of a thing Let's put that to the side because that may have what came into your mind. I know it's what comes into my mind sometimes when I read this passage of scripture, but let's ask ourselves a couple of other questions in addition to that specific question of what would Jesus do? What happens to those who obey God's word in accordance with what we just read?
0: They walk in the light of the Lord.
1: They do, and they're perfected by him. Verse five says they're perfected by him so many of us try and hide from this word perfection. We try and run away from it. And yet the Bible says in a couple of different places, be perfect as I am perfect. God calls us to perfection. No, am I saying that we're going to be perfect on this side of heaven? No, I'm not. What I'm saying is, is that as we walk in God's will, as we obey his commandments, the Holy Spirit begins to perfect us into the exact being that God created us to be so that that way when we do arrive in heaven, we are in a perfect body, in the presence of a perfect Lord and Savior, in the presence of the perfect Holy Spirit, and in the presence of our perfect Heavenly Father, the triune God, and we are all assimilated into the same thing. And so when we obey God's word, we are perfected. And as Mallory said, we walk in his truth. truth. How can you tell if you are a follower of Christ? Because you know, some people actually battle with this question and they question whether they have done the unpardonable sin, blasphemy of the Holy Spirit, or they question uh, their lifestyle and whether they're actually following after Christ or they question maybe a decision that they made and as a result of that decision They feel like maybe they're no longer following God. So how can you tell if you are a follower of Christ you can tell
2: by that question and usually Because when you're doing that you're concerned for Your relationship with Christ hmm. and you're concerned that you're gonna lose what you have you feel like you need the lord in your life whenever you are asking those questions did i do this wrong or did i do this wrong and so in that i feel like that questioning shows that you are trying your best or you are following after christ striving to do okay what his will is
1: okay are there any other ways that we can tell somebody's following christ also phew,
2: by the way we love one another hmm how it's supposed (laughs) how we're supposed to tell i mean scripture says multiple times they will know you're my disciples for your love of one another
1: so but when you say that 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 kind of makes me think that uh of the passage of scripture that we will know that they're also Christ's disciples by the fruit in which they bear. Mm -hmm. We can judge each other by our fruit. But is our fruit always just talking about how many people we lead to Christ, how many people we convert into the faith of Christ? Is that what fruitfulness is always talking about? Because as I've listened to pastors, as I've listened to preachers, as I've listened to evangelists over the years, I would think that that's the only way that I can show p- fruit is by how many people I've led to Christ. But is that exactly what the Bible referencing?
2: Your fruit that you, what is the fruit that, what is Shows it? that you're a disciple shows, of Christ. The fruit that, yeah, that's what it is. The fruit that shows that you're a disciple of Christ isn't necessarily conversion of people. It's just how you, it's your relationship with Christ. And your fruit is how you use the fruits of the Spirit, I think, in your daily life. And so you're showing God in your life, and you're not only being yourself, but you're you're being yourself, but you're being a true follower of Christ every single day in everything that you do, and in that you're bearing God's fruit because you're showcasing Him and not yourself. You're not right being all about yourself. It's um.
1: So is it okay to say that by using the fruit of the Holy Spirit and the way I live, by the way I love my brothers and sisters that are all around me, that as those fruits of the Holy Spirit are evident in my life, that I'm being perfected Yes. to be like Christ? Mm -hmm. Because I think that's very important for us to understand is, is that I am, as I'm in God's will, I am being perfected in Him. Yes. We've got to stop running away from that because the reason we run away from it is because we know what the standard or the bar is of perfection. And so we automatically are always trying to lower that bar or that standard so that that way we never have to try and achieve that. And as a result, we're selling ourselves short mm-hmm. every single time. I'm going to take this into a um, an athletic type of a thing. When I was a young man uh, around – Mallory's age, 13 years of age, I wanted to be able to jump. I wanted to be able to jump really, really high. I wanted to be able to dunk a basketball. That was my goal. And so I talked to my coach. I even talked to my dad. How can I be a better jumper? And what they said is go out every day and set something that you can't touch that's out of your reach, out of your jumping zone, and I want you to try and touch it. And you do that every day, do it multiple times in a day. And once you can touch that, they didn't say if you ever touch it, they said, once you touch that, find something else that's even higher and go and try and jump and touch that. And once you can touch that, go even higher and then you'll be able to touch that. Then make it the rim, then make it the middle of your forearm on the basketball rim. And I was like, you've got to be kidding me. I mean, I'm 13 years of age. And I can't even touch the roof and the ceiling in my house at the time. And I mean, I wasn't a short kid. I was a pretty tall kid. And I started jumping and jumping and jumping and jumping. And all of a sudden, I started touching the ceiling in my house. So then I went outside of my house and there was a, a part of the roof that came off that was pretty high. It was probably about nine and a half feet high. And I started jumping for that. And within a couple of weeks, I could touch that. And then I went to the basketball rim and I tried to touch the basketball rim. And all of a sudden I could touch the basketball rim and I just kept on it. It's not because of some special humanistic feat that I was able to do these things. It was because the muscles inside of my body were growing and were repairing and they were breaking down to the point where eventually as I kept telling my body, I'm going to jump and touch that rim of that basketball goal. I finally did touch the rim of the basketball goal. And finally, I started able to do it at the middle of my forearm so I could actually dunk the basketball. And so by the time I was 15 years of age, I could dunk a basketball just by taking one step and jumping straight up and throwing the ball down. The same thing comes true when it comes to perfection. God is wanting us to become more and more perfect inside of him. And instead of us lowering the standard saying, I'll never be able to achieve that, what we or to be doing when we're aligning ourselves with God's will is to keep on going for those points where we become more like him. And then we become more like him. And then we become more like him. And we don't regress, and we don't give up, and we don't stop, but we keep on pursuing a faith in him. So final question with this passage of scripture, First John chapter 2, 3 through 6 says, how should a follower of Christ live?
3: As a follower of Christ, we should take it upon ourselves to read God's word and to learn the commandments and the precepts and the laws of the word of the word of God more than just the 10 commandments. Hmm. I mean, yeah, we, we can stop there and we learn that at a vacation Bible school or through a Sunday school or even it's easy because it's a set of 10, but there are so many other commandments throughout God's word and laws and precepts that we as a follower of Christ need to to live. And reading the Bible not just once in a lifetime, mm. but to continue to read God's Word because as we age, as we mature, we're we're different. We're different today than who we were yesterday. And what means something to us yesterday is not going to mean what it means today because we don't really know what we're going through each and every day, we're not. We can have like prepare and organize as best as we can, but yet that doesn't really guarantee us that that's what tomorrow is going to look like, or a month from now is going to look like. Very true. But what we do know is that God's word is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Mm-hmm. It never changes. And so, having that understanding and learning the the laws and the commandments, like I said, beyond the Ten Commandments in Exodus. Mm-hmm. It gives us a greater understanding and a greater patience as a follower of Christ to go, all right, okay, Lord, this is a commandment that Xavier had brought up, you know, love your neighbor as yourself. If I'm not going to love myself or treat myself right, then how in the world am I going to love my neighbor? Yeah. And if I'm doing evil, vile things to my own self, I'm just going to be that evil and vile to my neighbor. Hmm. So taking even just that passage of scripture, learning it, understanding it, and making it applicable applicable to my life of loving myself as I would love my neighbor. Hmm.
1: Definitely. Very well said. First John chapter three, verses two through six. Again, we're just taking portions of First John, the different chapters. There's five chapters in First John, and and we're discussing them of how we can align our will unto God's will. Xavier has that passage of scripture for us. Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not
2: yet appeared. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him, because we shall see him as he is. And everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. Everyone who makes a practice of sinning also practices lawlessness. Sin is lawlessness. You know that he appeared in order to take away sins, and in him there is no sin. No one who abides in him keeps on sinning. No one who keeps on sinning has either seen him or known him.
1: All right, wonderful. Uh, So we talked about sin earlier. We said that sin is basically direct rebellion against God and his will. So the question is, why did Jesus come? Why did he come from heaven to earth? What was his purpose in coming here?
3: He was a spotless lamb. Perfect? Perfect.
1: Absolutely, he was. And he takes our place for the blemishes that we have Mm -hmm. in order to bring us to perfection,
0: Mm -hmm.
1: to make us like him. Mm -hmm. So when we see a bracelet or a t-shirt that says something like, what would Jesus do? The answer is he would be perfect in this. And that is the exact line of the way that I am to be living my life. I am to be perfect. That kind of changes our understanding of a WWJD bracelet, doesn't it? Because when we say, what would Jesus do? Would he go to his grandmother's house or would he go out with his friends for the summer? It doesn't really apply there. And so it becomes obsolete in that. But what would Jesus do to be perfect in this situation? That kind of changes the way we look at how we conduct our lives and not necessarily just in the decisions that we make. So what happens if we live in Christ?
2: We no longer sin. But that doesn't mean we're immediately going to no longer sin because we're not perfect yet. We're achieving, we're striving for perfection. So whenever we follow Christ and we're in Christ, he will lead us to the point of no sin.
1: Right. But the hope is, the security is, if we do sin, if we do break that, if we do break that ability of achieving perfection, what does Jesus do for us?
2: He'll forgive us and wow. help us continue to move forward.
1: Wow, Yeah. That's exactly what he does. He forgives us, and he walks with us to continue to move forward. So with that known, why, why do people constantly sin? Why do I constantly struggle and fight with sin? Because we were born
2: with it. It's our nature. Hmm. And we're trying to be counter our nature, which is a struggle for us. But it's not impossible because God is helping us
1: through it. Right, right. But there's a passage of scripture and it says that I am a new creation in Christ. Whenever I've been born into Christ, I'm a new creation. And so therefore my nature should no longer be uh, only achieving this uh sinful desire that adam and eve were born with but instead that i should actually only ever be desiring perfection what do you say to somebody like that
2: even though we are made new creations we're made new creations in christ and it says we need to renew our minds Hmm. and so sometimes we ask christ into our hearts but we don't renew our minds and therefore continue sinning because we haven't Come to the point where we're like, I know, I'm not needing to do that. I don't need to do that. I can overcome that in Christ. And it renews, and we renew ourselves in Christ. And still, in renewing ourselves in Christ and becoming new creations, it takes time. I mean, the butterfly, we, we talk about butterflies okay. a lot, of, I hear at least about whenever we're talking about becoming a new creation. And Basically, I think our life on earth is the, um, like we start out as a caterpillar, and then when we accept Christ, we start forming our cocoon, and we go into a cocoon to grow in Christ. Mm. And in that cocoon of growing in Christ, we don't always talk about this, but a lot of gross stuff happens in there whenever the caterpillar's in there. It's shedding its skin, it's got all this goo all over it and everything like that. Yeah. And it's becoming a new creation. And so, in that, when our life on earth following after Christ is that hardship of becoming a new creation, it's not going to be easy. It's not going to be f- all fun and games and, oh, I love the Lord and everything's going to be good to me and nothing will ever happen to me because I love Jesus because we're not in that point of perfection yet. We're still trying, we need to be growing and striving more and more, and working through the struggles and the hardships and the pains and the times whenever you feel like God's not there, and then the times whenever you feel like giving up and just going back to how it was. Hmm. And we move forwards through that to the point where we can finally get to the point where we can break out of that cocoon and fly.
1: Were you singing Bullfrogs and Butterflies? (laughs) <laughs>
2: or are you singing? I want
1: to be a butterfly. No, she was singing. Pull frogs and butterflies have both been born again. Very well said, Xavier. Our next passage of scripture is found in First John chapter four, verses four through six. Mallory has that for us. Ye
0: are of God, little children, and have overcome them, because greater is He that is in you than He that is in the world. They are of the world, therefore speak they of the world, and the world heareth them. We are of God. He that knoweth God heareth us. He that is not of God heareth not us. Hereby know we the Spirit of truth, And the spirit of error.
1: So Blair brought up this word discernment earlier, and that's exactly what this passage of scripture is uh, calling us to have an understanding of how we can discern the truth through the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. First John chapter four, verses four through six. So why, as followers of Jesus, can we overcome the world?
2: because god is greater than he who that is in the world
1: yes absolutely so though i read that cs lewis quote that we're living in the world that is being led by the rebellious by the rebellion by the one who is desiring to overthrow god we can overcome all that he is transcribing and desiring for us to have in our lives which is death destruction and turmoil which we see so often in this world, don't we? I mean, really, when we when we look at what's going on in the world, especially over the past several months or the several past several weeks, however, if you look into the news, you're going to see COVID everywhere. It's growing. Another wave is coming. You're going to see what's going on in Afghanistan. We completely forgot about the coup that happened in Miramar, Burma. We completely forget about what's going on between China and India or China out in the South Pacific. We forget... All of these things are happening because the world is being led by the one who's rebelling against God. How about the, the, uh, earthquakes? How about the hurricanes? How about the tornadoes? How about all of these things? We like to blame God for all of those things, but the one that's actually in charge of this world is the prince of the world. And that is Satan. And so how do we as followers overcome the world? We overcome the world through Christ. And by following after his commandments, as Blair, Xavier, and Mallory, and I have all brought up before, praying and seeking after his face, and continuing to allow him to take us to the place of perfection. According to the passage scripture Mallory just read, who listens to and gives heed to the scriptures? Children. So we're children.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: There are a few descriptions that are given to us as Christians, aren't there? Xavier brought up butterflies, the metamorphosis that takes place by a butterfly or even by a tadpole to a frog. Uh, There's the metamorphosis uh, uh, in that regard. There's also the comparison that we have of sheep. And then there's the last comparison, which is what we're talking about right now, and that is children. We, like little children, have overcome the world, but we are the ones, as we in childlike faith, not in advanced technological faith, but in childlike faith, if we will follow after God, in other words, as a, as a child and we had parents, and when they told us to do something, especially when we were that obedient child, we would go and do it. If we were that rebellious child, we would do the opposite of what our parents asked us. And so in the same realm, realm the same category, the same way of living, That childlike faith is what leads us to submit ourselves unto God and align our will into his. All right, last portion of scripture. We're going to be wrapping up with this. First John chapter five, verses four through eight. I believe Blair has that for us.
3: For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith.
1: Who is able to obey God and defeat sin?
3: Jesus? Oh, we. Everyone who has been born of God and knoweth God.
1: Yes, (laughs) exactly. Everyone who has been born of God and knoweth God. So is there any other way to heaven? Is there any other way to God? Do all paths lead to him? If I follow Krishna or if I follow Buddha or if I follow Gandhi or if I follow President Trump, are those the pathways that lead to heaven? No. No. Only by belief in Jesus Christ. What are the characteristics of an overcomer?
3: Being born of God. Born of God. Our faith.
1: Yes, absolutely. And what or who enables us to overcome the world and live according to God's will? The Holy Spirit. Yes. And who testifies to the truth of Christ's return for us? The Spirit. Yes, the Holy Spirit. So who is it that we need to make sure that our communion with is in on a regular basis? The Holy Holy Spirit. Spirit. How do we do that? We do that by reading the Word of God. We do that through prayer. We do that by communing having communication with other like believers. Does that mean that that's all we spend our time with? No, we don't only spend our time with believers because that also can become a very negative thing. We spend our time in this world, which we are set free from its sinful desires. The bondage no longer has hold of us. We renew our minds and as new creations, we walk through this world as a light unto others who are living in the darkness. And as we walk in the light, people will be drawn to us like a moth is to the flame and they will desire to also become children of the light. That is our purpose in aligning our will to God is to live according to the fruits of the spirit and making sure that we love our brothers and our sisters, our neighbors, and as Blair so Detailedly put it, loving ourselves so that that way we can love others. We will then align ourselves with God. If you have any questions, we are on Instagram, we are on Twitter. You can uh, direct message us on those things. If you have anything that you want to say, just go to at5alivedevo. We would love to hear any feedback that you have. Mallory, will you close us in prayer?
0: Thank you, Jesus, for today and for every single day and that everyone will be safe and live in the life of the Lord. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen.